0: Good morning. What's up, Doc listeners? This is Dr. Eric Spann, and I'm glad to welcome the hundreds of new listeners that we had over the last several days. We've um, gone from uh, a 1,000 downloads uh, this weekend to over 1,500 new downloads in the last several days. We've tried to serve the local community and the region of service for our health system uh, to get information out, and I really do appreciate it. Before we get started with the Bleeding Edge weekend update, I just want to give a shout out to several of our certified broadcast monitors, New York Cheryl, somebody I'll just call, BB, beep, beep uh, good nurse Cindy, Richard the 14th, and Slash 77, you all know who you are. So in the region, I'm going to start with the good news. In Independence County, we've had major improvements with uh, a decreasing rate of new cases now down to less than 10 a day with nine new cases over the last 24 hours. Much improved 14-day totals with only 195 out of 651 total cases over the last two weeks. That was well over 300 several weeks ago, and now there are 542 recovered cases of 651 total in Independence County. The greatest improvement was located there in our region. Sharp County is now a total of 130 cases, but 112 are recovered with only eight active cases. Uh, Just to note, Independence County had over 300 active cases just a week or two ago, and they're down to a third of that at 109. The... um, Death totals have stayed the same in both Independence and, of course, Sharp County that I just mentioned. Sharp County now has only eight active cases with just 23 out of their 130 over the last two weeks, which is much improved as well. Fulton and Baxter County are stable with their numbers. Uh, There's only 10 active cases in Fulton County and 18 in Baxter, and neither of those cases uh, have any um, deaths over the last 14 days, as a matter of fact. There's only two new cases in the last 14 days, and those were both in Independence County, which now has a total of three deaths. So the new cases in Fulton County are one over the last 24 hours, two in Baxter County. And then we move on to Izard, which has four new cases over the last 24 hours. And they are a little bit worse than they have been because of a big outbreak in a local business there. They have 12 active cases right now with 56 of 69 total cases recovered. They've had no new deaths as well in the last month. So they're kind of moderate and they're still in the the mid-range. But the, the big news, of course, is the major outbreak that we've had in Stone County in the last week with now 92 active cases and with 74 recovered, but what looks like about 167 total cases now, which is a huge jump. We've had thankfully no new deaths with one death over a month ago. But our 14-day count has risen from the low 20s up to 77 or more with about 15 new cases a day this week. This has come from, as I've stated before, a very large outbreak in uh, one local organization. Now we've had a second uh, organization that's now had its first wave of outbreak, very similar circumstances. We're now seeing the second phase of our initial outbreak, with contacts in the community now starting to come in in the second wave from the beginning earlier in the week as people have begun to shed virus. Last weekend, now new cases that have begun to shed virus and show symptoms are getting tested. Uh, Other than that, the state of Arkansas has done really well. Uh, All of the rates of active cases, new cases, percentage of tests done, ventilators, hospitalizations are all decreased As far as the region, we have about 45% availability of hospital beds. Our ICU beds have about 40 to 45% availability. Ventilator availability is about 95%. So we're going to talk for just a minute about perspectives so that you can judge your routine activities that are just the things we do going about daily life and not really thinking about anything that might be dangerous to our life or our health versus some of the concerns that many have about coronavirus. The average 5 to 14-year-old within their age group has about a one in two million chance of dying from coronavirus. Those numbers are taken from the fact that each year we lose about 2,700 children in that age group, but only 23 have died of coronavirus. So that's one in two million for their age group. If you look at the total counts for the United States, the chance of a 5 to 14-year-old dying of coronavirus drops to 1 in 20 million over the whole. Now, that is the average rate that someone would have of death of traveling 200 miles by jet or basically taking a flight from Little Rock to Dallas, or by comparison, taking one horseback ride in a lifetime. So I don't think that many people, when they get on a jet and they need to take a trip, actually stop and say, no, I'm not going to go from Little Rock to Dallas just because there's a 1 in 20 million chance of dying. So I hope that puts in perspective the 5 to 14 age range. Let's go to the 45 to 54 age group. So far this year, we've lost 7,721 people in this age group to COVID, but we've lost in a yearly average 93,272. That's within age group, a 1 in 5,000 chance of dying from coronavirus, of all deaths that are calculated. Overall, that's 1 in 50,000 chance that anyone in that age group has of dying as a whole. Now, to compare, there's a 1 in 55,000 chance of dying from a cataclysmic storm or tornado or from just playing active football. Or, for example, for you ladies, the act of giving birth. Now, I know that it's a a, a fearsome thing. I delivered 400 children in my career, and I played football in high school, and I've certainly been through some bad storms, including cyclones, on the mission field. But I don't find many people that say to their child, well, you can't play high school football because you have a 1 in 55,000 chance of dying. Or most women won't not have children because of the rare, rare chance of dying from childbirth. So I want to call into question the idea that people are afraid to go about the normal activities of living because of coronavirus. Now, I'll be the first to, to say, let's lock down right now because of what's going on in Stone County. And let's get back to the really intense precautions so that we can get through this soon after Labor Day. But again, we don't not go on trips because we might get into a hurricane or a chance tornado going to Oklahoma, so we we really don't see a good perspective in comparison with coronavirus. Lastly, the 75 to 84-year-old age group. So far this year, we've lost 39,348 of our citizens in that age group to coronavirus, but we've lost 400,208 to all other causes, so this is a 1 in 500 chance of someone in that age group dying of coronavirus. If extrapolated over the whole population of the U.S., a person in that age group then has a 1 in 5,000 chance over the whole of dying from coronavirus, and that is much equivalent to the chance of becoming electrocuted by any cause or going canoeing. Now, I'll give you another statistic. There is a chance of 1 in 100 that someone will die of an opioid overdose, but I don't see anyone that I take care of not taking their pain pill because of the one in a hundred chance that they'll be the one who dies of an overdose. Now, I may overstate the point for emphasis, but I think you get my meaning. Now, to move on, the summary is everyone is doing well in our region, but Stone County, and we are where Independence County was two to three weeks ago, so we need to buckle in and hunker down in Stone County through Labor Day. And as Barney Fife said, Nip it in the bud! Now, A few studies that will give you the update to the very day uh, today on COVID in all of the major medical journals. The first study is discussing the impact of COVID-19 on emergency department visits, and this was published on August the 3rd of 2020. Five states reviewed Colorado, Connecticut, Massachusetts, New York, and North Carolina between January the 1st and April the 30th. And then the trends in ER visits were followed during the COVID pandemic, and they noticed that in states there was a rate of decreased ER visits of 42 to 64 percent And in some states like New York, however, the hospital admission rate uh, went up 50 percent to about 149 percent. But in North Carolina, the hospital admission rate dropped to 22 percent of the usual. So the authors comment that the COVID-19 surge in the United States caused many patients to stop coming to the emergency room. But the ones who did tended to be sicker on the whole. Now, they say that these data do not tell us who stopped coming or whether that it was appropriate even. They say many patients who decided to forego an ED visit probably didn't need emergency medical care anyway or were cared for elsewhere, maybe by tele- telemedicine. But some may have suffered or died unnecessarily out of fear of coming to a healthcare care organization and contracting COVID there. So, as I've said before, the fear now in our area of dying of COVID is now killing more people in our region from this very phenomenon than COVID-19 is itself. Mid-program, just as a little break here with a little music background, I want to give a plug to the supporting agency of this program. The King's Foundation was founded in 1999 as a charitable organization with a 501c3 registration with both the state of Arkansas and the IRS, and we have been doing business worldwide. Uh, non-stop since 1999. We've taken in as much during Cy- Cyclone Pam in 2015 as $105,000 over a few-month period and distributed that in charitable ways in the South Pacific for food, clothing, shelter, uh, things that help them clear the paths in the jungle, uh, housing, repairs, uh, helping churches be rebuilt. And we've had as little donated in a year as $2,500, and most of that coming from Private uh, family members, or even myself and my wife. But this charity was established to serve pastors, missionaries, and churches in teaching ministry that my wife and I do and associate with Home Builders Ministry out of Springdale, Arkansas. We contribute to medical support programs and medical mission work on Tanna Island and in the nation of Vanuatu in the South Pacific. And we do teaching in Australia, New Zealand, and other countries that support the mission work there as well as the donations that we receive going to support the about $5,000 a year that it costs to uh, keep our uh, underground uh, recording studio and the layer, I call it, uh, up-to-date and software updates, hardware updates. And uh, all of the money that's donated is, of course, 100% tax-deductible, and it's receded. And you can find the location for this donation if you look on our Buzzsprout Uh, Website, You'll see a little PayPal icon with a heart on it. You can donate there through PayPal, and we'll make certain that the IRS knows that you've given a donation. And if you donate over $100, you could win valuable gifts and prizes presented to you by the lovely and gracious Carrie. And I'm going to try to get her to dress up like Vanna White to do that. So let's see about that. Uh, I didn't run that by her first. I may be in trouble. Okay. So uh, the next study was hydroxychloroquine is ineffective for patients with mild COVID, and this was published by Dr. David Dressler on uh, July the 16th, 2020, in the Annals of Internal Medicine. In a randomized trial, this drug did not improve symptoms and adverse effects were considerable in this 423 person, non-hospitalized patient study. So the summary goes like this. The treatment and placebo groups did not differ in symptom severity, hospitalizations, or deaths, whether treated with hydroxychloroquine or with placebo. The hydroxychloroquine recipients had significantly more adverse side effects, predominantly in the gastrointestinal system, than did placebo, and it was about 43% in the treatment group versus 22% in the placebo group. And you only had to treat five patients to receive harm. We call that a number needed to treat or number needed to harm so the authors comment that this study's results are consistent with other randomized trials reports uh, of no hydroxychloroquine benefit in covid-19 patients with mild disease uh, or non-hospitalized patients and possible harm for this medication now, to go on, I saw a study in the journal of the American Medical Association three days ago, and they also state the following, just in a conclusion without belaboring the point. Among patients hospitalized in metropolitan New York with COVID-19, treatment with hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, or both, compared with neither treatment, was not significantly associated with differences in in-hospital death rates. However, the interpretation they stated these findings might have been limited by the way that the observational study was designed, or the study's observational design. Now, I was sent a note by a friend and someone who's very well-meaning a few days ago about a Dr., in New York named, uh, I believe, Zeb Zelenko. His name is actually Vladimir Zelenko, and he practices in Orange County, New York, in a town called Monroe. This doctor has touted uh, that in New York, uh, he's claimed that by mid-April that he treated 1,450 patients whom he supposedly saw several times each and that he had very, very low death rates, and he stated that this is 99.99% successful. He claimed over 3,000 office visits in less than four weeks because the outbreak in New York, and guys, this is where we get in trouble with believing what you see on YouTube and on Twitter if you don't, if you don't check it by good sources. So in four weeks, he stated that he saw 1,450 people in this small town, in this county in New York, which would have been over 3,000 office visits in that four weeks, which is about a hundred visits a day. Now, in Monroe, New York, the patient population is 384,940. In mid-April, the entire county Uh, had only had 6,000 cases, and they have had about 12,000 cases now. Now, there are at least 50 physicians in this county of New York, which is considered rural, actually. So then Dr. Zelenko, if his claims were true, would have had to see over 12 times more patients personally than any other physician or over 25% of the cases for over a quarter million people personally. Now, one of the claims that he made in this was that because of, of Uganda and other countries that have had very low death rates that used, quote, hydroxychloroquine, um, that, that he believed that hydroxychloroquine was this effective. And he used the statistic from uh, Africa that because they had such a low death rate, it was because they were on hydroxychloroquine and drugs like it. Well, here's the problem. Uganda doesn't use hydroxychloroquine. It uses a drug called artemether-lumefantrine at 88.5% and quinine at 85% of the remaining for its malaria patients. So they don't even use hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine in Uganda to treat patients for malaria. So when it was studied, here's what they found. This is very interesting to me. When you look at Uganda, the average age or the median age is about 20 Versus, say, Spain, the average age of a citizen is 45. This is a very young country. The death rates are very high, over 25 to 30 years of age. So exposure to malaria, the researchers who have looked at this say, can actually have the same trained immunity effect that I've shared with you of getting your measles, mumps, and rubella, your diphtheria, pertussis, tetanus, your pneumococcal vaccine, your annual flu vaccine, your oral polio vaccine. Uh, or something called BCG, which is a tuberculosis prevention drug used in different parts of the world. And the death rates are as much as 50% lower for people that just get their routine immunizations and boosters. So what we see here is, once again, we see Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and the media tout something from a doctor who has only anecdotal evidence with no peer review, with no placebo control, with no blinding, who's touting his own results that are very nearly impossible, and he's gotten thousands and thousands of hits on YouTube, and even the president and Rudy Giuliani have mentioned this doctor in New York. And guys, the fact of the matter is, it's just impossible. All right, Mr. Smart Reporter, showing off. Figured out how to work the Google on the internet machine. Now, on a good note. The FDA approved a new saliva test for COVID-19 that's simple, cheap, available, and I believe will probably be available for home usage very quickly. The test cost only about $10.00. Uh, this was uh, reported by Rochelle Retner, a senior writer at a journal I cannot remember, and I forgot to copy the uh, the, st- the journal's name. But this new saliva test for COVID-19 can be completed in just a few hours, was authorized by the FDA in August. Uh, it's got several advantages over nasal swabs, by the way, which is something I dread and hope I never have to have. It's like a brain biopsy. Um, it's cheap. This thing's less invasive. It can be performed without the need for uh, certain drug tests testing components that have all been running short in the pandemic. Uh, This test, known as saliva direct, doesn't require any special equipment or technology. Instructions for the test are going to be made immediately available to laboratories around the country, the FDA stated in its statement when it was published. Saliva direct, they state, uh, is yet another uh, testing innovation that could be a game changer that will reduce the demand for scarce testing resources. Admiral Brett Gerard, who is our U.S. Assistant Secretary for Health, stated uh, along with this. And this was developed, by the way, by the Yale Public School of Health, which has been a great uh, source of information for me during the pandemic. I'm going to leave you with this. So I've been asked day by day, so Doc, what actually works? I'm going to tell you what I believe and what I talk to with our physicians in the region who are very thoughtful, very scientific and reasonable, uh, who are in the day-to-day medical care, who read the same journals I do. And this is what I've come up with based on good research and with good evidence and uh, some common sense even. So, Those of you out there that that are believing and sharing everything that you see that seems like a magic bullet, just everybody needs to calm down and, and show some patience because we're just entering the time where good research is starting to be published. Good science cannot move quickly. It's simply impossible. Anything that's good is going to take three to four months usually, and we're cutting those times in half, and we've suffered because of that. We've recently seen some scientific disasters from the three big journals By political involvement and political biases, and trying to rush studies through uh, to prove that the administration was wrong or right, and we just don't need that involved. So, number one is I think you all know this medical masks for everyone. Uh, Guys, get rid of the cloth mask. Go get you those surgical masks or or the medical masks that you can buy at Walmart. Use those all the time when you're out in public, at least, um, if you can afford them at all. If you can't afford them, Do as best you can with cloth masks because they do help protect others from possible secretions that you and I might sneeze or cough. Social distancing is still huge. Six feet decreases the risk of you getting secretions from somebody else's speech or uh, droplets by 80 to 90 percent. Eye protection or face shields, not much has been said about this, but more is being said about it. Uh, If you're going to be out and you're going to be at high risk, you can get a a face shield. It kind of looks like a clear welding mask. Uh, People can see you speak. It does protect very well. And if you add a shield, as I quoted to you yesterday from a study in India in the home health industry, the risk can go from as much as 20 percent in regular exposures to COVID patients down to zero by just adding a face shield to your uh, medical or surgical masks. If you're going to be in a room or closed space with people closer than six feet or 12 feet for more than a few seconds or minutes, except for your family, make sure you're wearing a mask and or face shield. Uh, Wash your hands. Cover your sneeze or cough with your elbow. And if you're sick from any reason, quarantine yourself and keep away. Make sure that you're calling your primary care physician or your primary care provider and at least having a phone or a televisit with them. Now, some final thoughts about actual therapies. Just one more um, comment about the Moderna mRNA-1273 vaccine that's going to protect against the spike protein, which is the main attachment protein of SARS-CoV-2 virus. The thing is in phase three child trials, which are moving very quickly forward. Uh, they've had no severe reactions or deaths at the antibody-producing levels. There's actually a study at Baptist Health in Little Rock. And guys, I'm so confident in this one, I'm going to try to get in the study. And if I do, I'm going to have a picture. I'm going to try to get it published in the paper of me taking that vaccine because I have such confidence in it to show that this is not just theory. This is reality and this thing is safe. So inactivated vaccine studies are in phase two trials in China. That's where they use the virus, but they keep it from reproducing so it can't make people sick. And the Russian vaccine shouldn't be trusted. Don't believe anything out of Russia right now. The earliest uh, vaccines appear to be in the early winter Uh, maybe even November, but all this is being fast-tracked and just pushed forward as quickly as as reasonably possible uh, by the administration and the CDC and the FDA. Treatments that help symptoms. Guys, ibuprofen is safe. Tylenol is safe. Cough medicines are safe. Um, Anything that helps you feel better that's over-the-counter None of that has been shown to be dangerous. But do call your physician or provider to get information if you have significant health problems. Treatments that limit disease. So there's some new things coming out that I've reviewed just as of today, uh, published within the last month. Convalescent plasma, in other words, someone's blood is filtered, and the plasma in their blood that has protective antibodies after they recover should be considered in life-threatening cases, according to the Journal of the American Medical Association. Hydroxychloroquine is still debatable, and I'll give you one study in just a minute. But Henry Ford Hospital System, which is a very big hospital system in Michigan, their research study with uh, several thousand patients in a retrospective review shows that there could be a significant improvement with hydroxychloroquine uh, with or without azithromycin, but not with azithromycin alone, and they did not work on zinc at all. But I do believe that if someone has to go in the hospital, it is not unreasonable for them to ask their physician if they were willing to give them this treatment as long as there's not a significant psychiatric illness or cardiac condition. Remdesivir should be ready in the fall. Dr. Fauci says this should be the standard of care. It's a very expensive IV therapy. But when you get sick and you're at very high risk, it has been shown to be significantly helpful in reducing severe disease or death. Now, if you take a PPI, and those are omeprazole, esomeprazole, and all the drugs that you see um, over the counter like Prilosec or Prilosec OTC, if you're on these drugs, your risk of getting coronavirus is two to four times higher because it suppresses the acid secretion of your stomach. And what that does is it allows the virus through the gastrointestinal tract to get in much more easily. Now, talk to your doctor. Don't just take my word for it. But these drugs are shown in repeated studies to increase the risk for getting coronavirus. And as we show that hydroxychloroquine is not helpful to prevent uh, you getting coronavirus disease, or it's not helpful for mild COVID-19 to treat it, we do have some things that we are now knowing make it easier to get this in the PPI group, like Omeprazole or Nexium, or the like or some of those drugs. But famotidine, which is what's in Pepsi Complete, has been shown to reduce severe disease as much as uh, 20 to 50%, and we think that's through what's called a histamine 2 receptor, which is something that uh, is uh, associated with the allergy or inflammatory response. So if you can get a hold of some famotidine, it's a great safe drug. Ask your doctor or your provider, but I say that up to 40 milligrams up to twice a day can help prevent uh, the disease if you get it from becoming more severe. That won't prevent the disease, though. Lastly, dexamethasone, which is one of my favorite prescriptions. Uh, cuts death rates in cases requiring oxygen by uh, 25 to 50 percent. Uh, the study was so obvious that they had to stop it early during a mid-study review for ethics. So this medicine should be used in anybody showing a significant inflammatory response. There's a study underway right now with nitrous oxide. Uh, there's no evidence that zinc does anything helpful. Uh, although there were some theories that it would help hydroxychloroquine work, but I'm seeing more and more that these are just anecdotal, single doctor reports who are trying to make a name for themselves on YouTube. Uh, Again, get your MMR, your oral polio, your DPT, your pneumococcal vaccine, your annual flu vaccine. If you get these before you get the disease, guys, you're going to do better because your immune system gets trained. It's just like exercise for the immune system. You can handle problems better. Well done studies are can, going to confirm that these medications and treatments and cures, what helps, what doesn't help. Uh, go, talk to your doctor because they're going to be the ones that are responsible and are accountable to look at all this research. We're going to have more and more rapid testing. We're going to have more affordable antibody testing. We're going to have more herd immunity as more people get sick. As we have vaccinations coming, that herd immunity plus the vaccine immunity, once we get to 60 or 65 percent of the population covered, is going to help us go from uh, the pandemic to no more pandemic, hopefully by the spring of next year. So with that, I went as fast as I could. Uh, But sometimes it goes over 25 minutes. I hope this has been helpful to you, and I'll try to be back with you tomorrow or Sunday if there's any significant update in Stone County so that you can know, since the state has had such a lag in getting information and publishing it, what's going on in our area, in our region, in our county, and in Mountain View, Arkansas. Thanks so much for your attention, and I'll see you soon.